Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. All right. Well, what is, uh, what's going on here? You know, I heard that, I heard that my preaching is getting dry. I've been getting emails. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to have a circus then. I'm going to have a circus up here the whole time. You know, I got a juggler. I got some gymnasts, right? At least I have one gymnast. You really want to do a cartwheel, don't you? Is that all right? Can she do a cartwheel? Is that, okay. All right. Okay. Go for it. Ready? One handed. All right. Two. <laughs> No, here's the thing. I, um, I brought my brother. This is my brother-in-law, Scott, and he's one of my best friends. And he's, uh, my kids consider him a professional juggler. He juggled in high school. Didn't know you could letter in juggling. And my brother-in-law lettered in juggling in high school. And so we love family get-togethers because we just have him juggle a lot of different stuff. But the reason I brought him up here is we've been in this Simplify series just talking about life and all these different things that, that we go throughout life juggling, whether it be you know church, our spiritual life, marriage, uh, kids, grandkids, jobs, all of that, we're juggling many different things. And just like right now, Scott is juggling tennis balls. If he were to drop one of those tennis balls, it would be totally fine. He can pick that up back up later and continue to juggle. In fact, Scott, do you mind just dropping one of these balls? All right. Good job, Reese. Thank you very much. So Scott can go back and juggling that, that ball again just fine because he can, he can drop that. But if we were to introduce a glass ball into the juggle... Here we go. Now, Scott's juggling a couple things he can drop, but there's something that he really, really can't drop. This is just like you as you go throughout life. There are things that you can, you can drop in life, drop the ball on. You know, a hobby, you just can't go golfing for a season, but you can pick that back up later without missing a beat and get back right into golfing. But there are things that you're juggling in life right now, like a marriage, kids, that if you were to drop, you can't pick that back up. In fact, Scott, you mind dropping the glass ball for us? All right. So I love the, like, I didn't know it was going to break. <laughs> we can't pick that back up now. There's no way we can pick that back up and continue, continue to juggle. It is broken. It is done. It's just like many of the things in our life that we're juggling. You drop the ball on that. There's no picking it back up. Can you give it up for my circus? Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Life is a juggle. And that's not a bad thing. Like we're supposed to take on challenges. We're supposed to juggle a lot. We must work jobs and we must have fun marriages and we must go to church and we must volunteer and we should make babies and we should work out and we should have a hobby and we should enjoy grandkids. However, and this is the story of many, if not all of us in here right now, our lives become chaotic when we drop the wrong ball in life. In fact, if you feel like your life is just a little bit chaotic right now, this is something to consider. It might not be that you're doing too much. Because you hear that all the time. Oh, I'm just doing too much. It might just be that you're dropping the wrong ball. It's kind of like you ever meet somebody, or maybe you're this person, and I know we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, but all they ever talk about is how busy they are, how overworked they are. You know, it's like a badge that they just kind of wear. Like, I'm just, I'm always busy. And you see them and, you know, you have to be nice. You have to say, hey, how are you doing? And then you just kind of cringe and you're just waiting for their answer because you know it's coming. So it's like, hey, how are you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. So busy, busy, busy. Juggling way too much. You should see my schedule. Busy. 
and to be nice, you know, you got to keep the conversation going, but, uh, but you know it's coming next. He's like, oh, is it work? And you're like, oh my goodness, yes, working overtime. Everybody wants a piece of me. Plus my dog got sick, puked on the blanket, so I got extra laundry this week. You know, so they, they go and they explain their life and you don't say it because it would be rude, but as they're, they're talking, you're thinking like, I don't know, it doesn't sound too bad. Why is that? Well, part of it is, is our society confuses busyness with importance. It's almost like the busy you are, the more important you are. And, and also, if we don't know what to talk about, we just talk about how busy we are. But the other part of that is, is you can be underworked, underworked. You can be doing very little, but if you're dropping the wrong ball, your life will feel chaotic, stressed, frustrated, and overworked. And so a major part of living this simple, quiet life that Scripture commands, a major part of living this powerful, simple life, is striking balance as we juggle life. And scripture has so much to say on that topic. So grab a Bible, we're gonna do this. We're in Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, it's page 978 and the Bible's in the chairs. I know a lot of people use those Bibles, otherwise phone tablets, those are great too. But Ephesians chapter five, we're just gonna take two verses today. It's one of my favorite things to do is take a short section of scripture and then just really unpack almost word by word, but phrase by phrase. Um, in this text. Let me pray, and then we'll just jump right into it. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the pages that we hold in our hands right now. And may you remind us of the weight of these pages. These are words from God Almighty. In such an important moment, the most important moment of our week this week, that as we gather together with brothers and sisters and we hear from the creator of the universe, our Father, you will speak to us through this text. You will convict. I ask that we listen. We are submitted to your word and we humbly come before you, ready for what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in on Ephesians chapter 5, we find ourselves in one of the most prosperous cities in the Roman Empire. Welcome to the luxurious city of Ephesus. Those of you who are going to Turkey with us in March, we're going to be right here. And as we enter the main thoroughfare, the smell of Ephesus cooking draws you into the little bistros along the street. You have fresh fish that is slowly simmering over open fires and chefs prepare slow roasted pork. Wine flows freely throughout the city, paired with salads of fresh onions, olives and garlic cloves, all grown just outside the city limits. Known for its sophistication, Ephesus is home to one of the first condominium buildings ever built. Architects brilliantly designed the condos to follow the contour of the hills. In fact, locals in Ephesus affectionately refer to the condos as the houses of slopes. It's a communal town flowing with money and the pride of class. And with this kind of money comes opportunity and with opportunity comes busyness. And so though this classy community is the crown jewel of the Roman Empire, it is a city bustling with activity and complexity. The juggle in Ephesus is real. And down one of the residential streets, a group of people who call themselves the Way, the early church, they meet together. Their leader is a young guy by the name of Timothy. He considers the famous apostle Paul to be somewhat of a dad. Today's church meeting is special. See, something that the group has been looking forward to because word has gotten around to the group that Timothy has received a letter from Paul. 
And so excitement has been growing to read this letter from one of their beloved pastors. These aren't just words to them. There's a weight to these words as they gather and they read these very words. Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, what Paul is saying here, he says, I know Ephesus, guys. I live there with you all. I planted the church here. I know the flurry of activity that is all around you. Look carefully then how you walk. I shared this at our, our family camp this summer. So if you were, if you were there with me, um, you're going to hear it again. Just take it as a reminder from the Holy Spirit, okay? Or just, a, you know, forgive me. But a few years ago, Nicole and I, we were in Norway for this, this summit of pastors. And it was this really cool concept. We brought in Russian pastors and Ukrainian pastors. We just talked about the greater kingdom of God and, and how it matters more than geopolitics. We just all got in a room and we just talked as, as pastors. And our church was part of making that happen. But there was one day where we took off teaching, took off meetings, all of that, in order to go hike one of Norway's biggest attractions, and that is Pulpit Rock. It's this massive cliff overlooking a fjord. The, the cliff itself is taller than three Willis Towers, or Sears Towers, if that's what you want to call it. Three Willis Towers stacked on top of, of each other. Just an insane drop-off. And so it was, a, it was a few hour hike up, and as we were hiking up, I noticed that Nicole kept on tripping on her way up. I don't know if it was like new shoes or if the Norwegians spiked her water bottle or what, but like she just kept on tripping on the way up. Finally, we reached the top of the cliff and I noticed that Nicole wasn't tripping anymore. She was walking very carefully because one little trip and you're falling 7,000 feet to your death. Some of us, maybe me, crawled to the edge, just so extremely careful with every movement because you have to. And my goodness, Nicole, she like, she gets to the edge. She starts hanging off the ledge. Now I dangled my feet, but I got like dizzy. It's just like way too high. Nicole's like hanging her head, you know, taking selfies off the ledge. I was getting angry with her. I was like, be careful. Like one wrong move. I'm a single man. Then I'm never dating again. Imagine me on a first date. It'd be horrible. I'd be that lonely, weird man. So be careful. Like, you know what it's like, right? You get up high in a ladder or maybe you're like doing some, some work up on the roof or some sort of ledge and you're very thoughtful with every little movement because there's no room for error. This is the exact idea that Paul is getting at in this verse. He's saying you're juggling life as you should be. You know, you're juggling church and you're juggling family and you're juggling work and serving and friends and hobbies and finances as you should. You're juggling away. But Paul is saying, treat your calendar as if you're walking along a ledge. You're just, you're so careful. You're so thoughtful with every little movement, every little adjustment, because you're not going to naturally stumble into living a balanced life. You're not going to naturally just walk into this simplified, intentional life. You're not going to do that naturally. You will not wake up one day and think, wow, I'm juggling a healthy family, a really fun marriage, a great career, a fun hobby, deep friendships, finances are great. I didn't even try. You're not going to stumble into that. And if you wake up one day and you do say that, I would argue then you could have done more if you were more thoughtful and intentional. See, achieving Scripture's simple life isn't about cutting everything out of your calendar and just living lazy. It's about being thoughtful and intentional with everything. I had this conversation with my girls the other night. Like most kids, they, they just started school. And uh, they started school at the, campus, or the, uh, the school that we're opening up a campus at. And they love it. Like, my goodness, great school. 
As we started the, the school year, they were hit with all these opportunities for extracurricular activities. Remember this? When you go to school, you could sign up for all these different things like band and choir and sports and clubs and theater. And they're like kids in a candy store. Like everything looks awesome. And so they come home from school and they just want to do, they want to sign up for everything. And I'm mean dad. So sit them down, you know, we're at the dinner table. I said, girls, if we even take three of those things, not only will you be overly busy, you will be mediocre at best at all three things. Because remember, we have Awana, we have church. We're certainly not dropping those. You can pick one thing. And then maybe as time goes on, you can introduce more activity into the juggle. My middle child, she had a hard time choosing. So she's like, well, dad, I like, I like choir, I like theater, I like music. So, so we, we talked, we had this great conversation just about her future, what she wants to do. I know she's only eight, but just you know, hearing from her little mind, like what she wants to do when she gets older. And come to find out, she told me, she said, Dad, I think it'd be so fun to go to church early with you on Saturday and Sunday mornings, and I could like be part of the worship team as you preach. I think that'd be really fun that we could serve together. I'm like, oh, I love that. It's very intentional. And so, so she chose music to be able to accomplish that because she's trying to train her mind. Which activity is going to allow me to do more and to serve more in my future? Okay, well, then that activity is a really good choice, then that's a good thing. Let's juggle that. So know what you're juggling and know why you're juggling it. Don't just take the first flashy thing that looks fun. Be very thoughtful. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says, making the best use of time. This is very interesting wording here. It makes sense in the English, but in the original Greek, it, it actually has a, a deeper meaning. The phrase, make the best use of time, is the Greek word exagorazo, which means to buy something back. This is actually financial language of purchasing something back. It reminds me of my youngest on our first day of school, which is a, a few weeks ago. So the one who did the cartwheel up here, uh, Reese, uh, went to school. Her teacher, her teacher's name, Mrs. Lott, is like the sweetest, colorful grandma. She's very kind and very strict. I might love her. Like she's just, she's all, and she's perfect for Reese. But on Reese's first day, um, I gave her, you know, I give the kids a ride home. And so I asked, you know, how's the day? And, and, and Reese started talking. She said, it was great, dad. Uh, and she told me that Mrs. Lott helped her unpack her, her backpack before school. And as Mrs. Lott is helping her unpack the backpack, she found a magnet in Reese's backpack and she thought it was for her. And so she said, Reese, I love this so much. This is, thank you. I'm going to hang this right above my desk. So Reese is telling me this story. She said, Dad, that's my magnet. I couldn't let it go. So I sat down at my desk and I thought for a while. Mrs. Lott started teaching. I raised my hand. Mrs. Lott called on me and I said, you can have that for the day, but I'm going to need that back. <laughs> that's exagorazo, right? I'm, I need to purchase. I gave that. I'm going to need that back. This is, this is what Paul was getting at. Now in context, if you look at it within context with the verse, what is Paul talking about that we need to purchase back? And you can just yell it out. What's he saying that we need to buy back? Time. Paul says there are places that you are spending your time. It's not getting you anywhere. So buy that back. Repurchase that and reinvest it somewhere else. Any of you remember Paul Harvey at all? I don't, because I'm not old. No, I'm joking. I do remember Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey had a, had a really cool radio segment where he told these amazing true stories. And there was, there was one story that he told of a very accomplished man. I looked for this story, but I couldn't find it in his, in his like, records. Um, but the stuff that this guy did is just, it's like he lived four lives. 
So this, this ordinary man, he climbed multiple mountains. He did a few expeditions into the wilderness. He had a family, and a very healthy family. He worked a fairly normal job. He authored books, and he authored articles. He flew planes, and he dove depths. I mean, the, the stuff this guy did is just incredible. When this man was, was interviewed about how were you able to do so much with your life, when he was interviewed, he said this. This is how I was able to do so much. I don't own a television. Literally what he said. The guy was like the Warren Buffett of his minutes. He just invested them so wisely. Where are you wasting your minutes and you need to exa garaza buy them back? Is it your phone screen time? Do you get that alert every Sunday morning like I do? You know, where your phone alerts you like, yeah, you use this much screen time every day. I hate that. It's the worst. Do you know that the average person spends five hours a day on their phone? Five hours a day. That's just average. That's 35 hours a week. So imagine if those 35 hours were reinvested elsewhere into that house project, visiting that elderly loved one that you know you should visit but you haven't, or, or building something with the kids, doing that extra project at work. 30 hours just begging to be exogarazo bought back. Walk carefully. And then Paul adds, because the days are evil. In other words, we live in a world that is always baiting you to misuse your time. Like what's, what's the saying? If, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Some of us are bad and busy. <laughs> Some of us are bad because we're busy. Like you ever notice you don't like busy you, do you? I know this about you. Busy you is no fun to be around. I don't like busy you. I don't like busy me. Just like edgy, rushed, caring only about getting this done and that done. Just using people to get things done. Like busy you is annoying. Busy me is annoying. And this fallen world is always trying to get us there. Busy, just using people, snapping, on edge, one hiccup in the schedule. It's just complete meltdown. We are constantly baited there. The days are evil, baiting you into imbalance and dropping the wrong ball. That's why Paul says, walk carefully. And this is the season where we feel busy the most, isn't it? Like right now, going into fall. I mean, I'll be candid with you. I was telling Nicole this the other night. I, I feel like such a hypocrite preaching this Simplify series. Because, again, to be candid with you, my life hasn't felt all that simple lately. Uh, girls just started school like many of your kids, you know, and uh, my, my wife is actually going back to school now. She wants to teach nursing at a university, I think. She explained it to me. I didn't really understand. Um, celebrated the girls' birthdays last week, so family came to town. We had 13 females in my house all weekend, so that wasn't simple. Um, you know, each of our kids were picking like a sport. Uh, Nicole and I were mentor, mentoring young couples. I'm in the final stages of a book right now. Fall is packed. Nicole's running a marathon. Uh, I'm trying to get a wood-burning stove in my house before winter hits. New camp is launching in a couple weeks. Last week, Nicole and I, we were up at camp, and we were just talking like, okay, we got to simplify. we got to apply this series to our lives. And as we're talking about this, I got a text from my friend in Germany reminding me, hey, you committed to speaking at an event in Germany in a couple months. It's like, oh, shoot, we'll forget that. Like, it, it's not too much. And, and I'm not saying, like, oh, look at me. So I'm so busy. I don't want to be that guy. Some of you are doing way, way, way more than me. It's just, it hasn't felt all that simple in my life. And I, I only say this because I feel like a hypocrite standing up here and being like, hey, simplify your lives. 
But the more I've been convicted about this and the more I've been praying about this, the more I've realized, no, the point of this whole series isn't, hey, abandon your capacity, be a millennial, just do less, do nothing, be allergic to stress, embrace laziness like it's godliness, don't ever stretch yourself. Like, despite how I might look, I'm not saying we should all be jobless hippies with a fear of commitment or hard work. Like, that's not biblical. Biblical simplicity is juggling the right things, though sometimes many, juggling the right things. And when the ball, you need to drop a ball, or sometimes that happens, it needs to be the right ball. And so how can we go into this fall and position ourselves, and as the cool kids say, just slay it this fall, rock it this fall, operate at a high capacity this fall, doing a lot this fall, but in the right balance. How can we do that? A few ways to apply this text to our fall or to our lives. Number one, when at work, work. You might not want to hear it, but I'm going to say it. There are way too many Michael Scotts in the offices, okay? (laughs) Chief time wasters. Uh, Forbes magazine recently published an article talking about the massive amounts of time theft in the workplace. Doom scrolling at your desk, watching YouTube, long water cooler convos, extended lunches, vape breaks. And the problem is, is we end up paying for those minutes later on, which makes us drop the wrong ball later on. Here's how this works. It's very easy to head into work and just waste some time here or there. Shoot the breeze, long lunch, five o'clock rolls around, and we still got work on our desk. And so then we bring it home. It's like, sorry, babe, just really slammed at the office. Uh, are we though? Like, I bet you could exogarazo some of those minutes back at work. If we'd buy some of that time back earlier in the day, we'd be able to head home with a better balance, ready for what God has for us next, a precious family. Now, to keep with the office illustration, I'm not saying, you know, be Dwight Schrute and have a camelback backpack at your desk, sipping your water through a tube, holding back sneezes so you don't waste time. Like, Periodic breaks from the screen, a good walk is healthy and good. It brings more productivity. Having fun in the office creates a really good culture. And my goodness, I, I built a hammock room in the basement of our church a few years ago. It was awesome. And then we hired more staff and then they needed the office and I've been wanting to fire people ever since. Uh, no, I'm joking. But have fun. But there's this line. There's this line that we must have on our radar. At some point, I'm going to pay for these minutes later on. So I have to be very I have to walk carefully. I bet that there is room to apply Paul's words at your work. Are you really busting it during your work hours? Are you really pushing hard? Because when we don't, the workload and the family load then begin to bleed together later on. And then the wrong ball gets dropped and we remove that healthy boundary between work and family. We don't often think about it this way, but our time wasted at work is often paid for by those that we love the most. Which is why have a clear boundary between work and family. One of the biggest contributors to a complicated and balanced life, and it can lead to, often lead to divorce today as well, is when we blur the boundary between work and family. And we all know what it's like. Right? I'm at home, but I'm not really at home because I got work and my mind's on work. And then it kind of spirals because now I'm dropping the ball at home. So then when I go to work, I kind of feel guilty as I'm at work because not all is well at home. I drop the ball at home. So now I can't really work at work as well because home isn't good and everything becomes to spiral. It's all blurred. Reset the approach. 
there needs to be a clear boundary. This is how you walk carefully. Uh, Michael Hyatt, and I know he's controversial, but uh, whether you agree with him or not, you can't deny he's a high-capacity guy, very accomplished. He timed the lights in his office to turn off at 5.45 p.m. And when they turn off, he has to leave. He could be in a meeting. He could be in the middle of an article. He could be in the middle of recording a video. Lights are off. Work is done. He must go to his other job, a more precious job, and that is being a dad. So what we talked about last week with Sabbath. There must be this clear finish line that you run toward. And then you change hats and you jungle something far more precious, family. Don't believe the lie that you need to put in more hours than what is healthy. Harvard Business Review uh, argues that someone who works 45 to 50 hours a week can accomplish just as much and usually more than someone who works 60 to 65 hours a week. You read that, you're like, how? That doesn't make any sense. Well, at some point, product, productivity, it just drops significantly. Your brain downshifts. You're not utilizing all those minutes as well because you feel like you have a lot more and your creativity crashes. Therefore, someone who's very intentional with their time during the day and squeezing out every minute, then leaves and comes back with fresh eyes, they can get way more done. Before Harvard Business Review, though, there was Paul. Paul had it first. He says, buy that back. Buy it back. And this is how you do it. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. Then after that, clear boundary, build your home. Writers saying, work at work, do good work work hard, be a monster in productivity, bust it. Then after that, clear boundary, you go home. And when you're at home, you're not done because when you're at home, invest. When at home, invest. Your best investment is not in the stock market. Like me losing my COVID handout in Bitcoin. Not a great investment. Your best investment is not a business venture. Your best investment isn't your job that someday somebody else will have. Your best investment is your home because you lead from your home. You live from your home. A few ways to invest in your home. Number one, be creative. Be creative with your family and how you enjoy each other. Less lazy family time. Don't just Netflix and sit. Do things together. Make those minutes count together. Quality time. For me, I hate board games. You're not going to get me to play a board game. I hate them. But maybe your family's into board games. Do that. My family loves geocaching. Do you know that the forest preserves all around us? There are these treasure boxes that are hidden in the woods. And you can download this app on your phone. And you and your family can go, like, get these coordinates. And your phone, like, leads you to the treasure box. My family found 60 last year. It's like a little treasure hunt out in the woods. We just loved it. The kids love it. Maybe that's not your thing. That, that's fine. But go to museums. There's some great free museums. University of Chicago, I took my kids down there a couple of years ago uh, to their museum. And it's amazing. They have a wall in there that I really do believe that Daniel would have seen when he went into Nebuchadnezzar's palace. You can just go there for free. Take the kids. Uh, one of my favorite family memories growing up was when my whole family went and took snowboarding lessons. Do that. Uh, cook dinner together. Don't just come home, sit on your butt, and run out the game clock. Go win the game at home after work. We call that quality time. Heaven forbid your office get more creativity than your roof. Heaven forbid you give your clients or your employees or your boss more passion than you give your kids and your spouse. Some of us are known to be far more fun at work than we go home and we're not fun at all. That's not investing right. Another way to invest is remember the marriage. Remember the marriage. 
Uh, for those of you in here who have yet to be married or are divorced, I, I don't want to leave you out. At the same time, I, I think you would agree that this really does matter and this needs discussion. And this is good for you to know for the future and also to help other people. But marriage is the foundation of the home. Your home culture will not exceed your marriage culture. If your marriage is a drag, your home will be worse no matter how much you try to fake it like you have a great marriage. If the marriage is fun, the home is going to be fun. Nicole and I, we, we talk about this. Like We know if we want our girls to like, be fun and adventurous and have confidence and have the zest for life, they need to see mom and dad doing that with each other. But here's what often happens, though, and I've been guilty of it. It's happened in my house, and, and, and I, I take responsibility for it. Marriage starts out fun, right? If it doesn't, you're, you're in for it. But marriage starts out fun. And it's, it's exciting, it's sexy, it's adventurous, it's like date night and road trips and romantic evenings. But from one of those romantic evenings comes this crying romance-sucking monster called a child. And they're awesome, right? And they need you. And it's so nice to feel needed. And so they get all the attention and they get all the affection. And what happens so often is the husband becomes a dad first and the wife becomes a mom first and it kills the home and it's unhealthy for the children. Husbands, your first responsibility is husband, then father. Make the marriage great. Wives, your first responsibility is wife, not mom. That comes later. More than, more than your kids, your husband needs to, need to, needs to feel like you're still his girl. I talked to a lot of guys around fires, and I'm not saying like they're not to blame for any of this. But one of the most common things I hear from guys we sit around fires is like, I just kind of feel like when we had kids, I lost my girl. I had my girl, we had a lot of fun, and now it's just like I kind of lost my girl. Marriage is extremely foundational for balance. A child-centered home is never balanced. A child-centered home is never balanced. You can tell a child-centered home because it's overprotective, more chaotic, and the marriage is a drag, and it is toxic. No, no, no. We bring kids into our home, into our culture, into our vision. Yeah, we play to their strengths, but they run at our pace, and they learn our culture. It's what's best for them and you. And so guys, date your wives. Don't give up. Work harder at dating her after getting married. Take her out, get a sitter. Give her a reason to change out of yoga pants and into a dress once in a while. And ladies, remind your husband that you're still his girl. I, I went um, a couple of years ago. I went to, I went like camping with a couple families, actually, some friends and then their parents and then Nicole and I and our kids and, and, and my parents. So we all went like camping for the day and we were up on this river and as we were sitting around the fire, my wife had said to me, said, hey, babe, you want to go kayaking? Let's leave the kids. Let's ditch the kids. Let's go kayaking. I was like, absolutely, let's go. So I, I said to the other couples about our age, I said, hey, you guys want to go kayaking with us? And the husband said, absolutely, let's ditch the kids. And the wife said, eh, I feel like I should just be with the kids. I was like, all right, whatever. So we all went kayaking, the three of us. And as we're going down the river, the husband had said to me, he had said, man, we used to kayak all the time when we were dating. And then she became a mom and she just doesn't want to do this kind of stuff with me anymore. I was like, that really sucks, bro. And that happens so often. It's not just women, it's men too. And so ladies, grab his hand, sit closer to him. There's a re listen to country music. There's a reason that us guys like country music a lot because you just hear about she's always scooting closer, grabbing your hand. We like that. Remember when you met and you watched a movie and you'd cuddle up? Do that after the kids are in bed. Like, be creative, have fun, and we'll leave it at that before it gets to PG-13. Point number three, err on the side of eternity. 
err on the side of eternity. We really want to balance well, and this is the key. This is the key. Err on the side of eternity. Next week, you will face a decision. Are you going to miss a kid's game, or are you going to let down a client? Are you going to miss a date night, or are you going to miss out on a hobby? Which ball are you going to drop? Err on the side of eternity. The scoreboard should always read that the home is winning. Home team wins in our house. And sometimes I have to let the church down for my home. Not on huge things. There's times where it's like, nah, I got to work some overtime here and, and, and the family's going to be okay with that. We're going to talk about that. But for the most part, there's a lot of times I've got to let the church down for my home. Because I, I guess I just found that I'll always disappoint somebody. If you know me well, you'll, you'd agree. Like I always disappoint somebody. I'm always letting somebody down. A sermon wasn't great. Couldn't make a meeting. Couldn't hang out. Guys are going out. I couldn't go out. I try not to. I'm just really, really good at letting people down. But I've decided there is a group of people that I will never let down, and that is my wife and my children. I cannot disappoint them. I know you got a lot of people pulling on you. You've got to decide who you're going to let down. And often we choose family because family is more forgiving. I can let down Nicole and the kids because Nicole... She forgives me. She gets over stuff pretty quickly and she's not going to leave me. I know that. The kids are way too forgiving of me. And so it's really easy. I'm just going to cheat them because, you know, my career over here is a lot less forgiving. I got to keep up. But it's then we fail to realize we lose a great deal more by disappointing the home. I'm not going to walk my coworker down the aisle one day. That'd be really weird. I'm not going to be a grandpa to my coworker's kids. Fact of the matter is for me, it took me too long to realize this. But for me, I am not that special at all. Sometimes I like to think I'm special, but I'm not. Truth is, one day, someone else will be sitting at my desk. And someone else will have my title. Someone else will have my slot on the radio. Someone else will be on between the lines if it, makes, you know, if it goes that long. Someone else will be at this pulpit. My books one day will be too old to buy, or let's be more honest, they'll be canceled at some point. Someone else will be sitting in my chair in the conference room. One day someone else will lead the meetings that I lead right now. Like, I'm just, I'm not that special. Someone else can do what I do and they will do it. And gonna, I'll watch them do it better than I've done it. But something that nobody else can do is be a husband to my wife and a father to my children. Nobody else can do that. Not while I'm alive. That's me only. That ball will not be dropped. So I'm not going to give up something that nobody else can do, lead my family, to do something that anyone else can do, my job. That'd be a dumb trade. I'm not going to make that trade. But many people make that trade all the time. Billy Sunday was a world-renowned preacher in the early 1900s. Hundreds of thousands of people came to faith through his ministry. In fact, um, we have a pulpit in the basement of our church. It was going to be thrown out one day. And I was like, do not throw that out. And they're like, why? It's like Billy Sunday actually preached at that pulpit. Like, I love that we have it in the basement. Um, Really cool guy. Just before Billy died, he said, I would trade the thousands of souls converted in my preaching just to have my kids. His kids walked away, partly because they never had dad. Cats in the cradle. He dropped the wrong ball. This is not in your notes. But I'd write it down. The cross demands our focus. Not in your notes. Miscommunication between me and those who were doing the notes, mainly because I did not tell them that this was in the notes, but it's just too big to not have in here. The cross demands our focus. 
The key to balancing anything is your point of focus. So in a sport that requires intense balance, whether it be like gymnastics or ballet, tightrope, you know, climbing, the rule of thumb is you have to have a point of focus. The right focal point always centers you. And then you can balance well. In fact, do you ever see like somebody like, like a figure skater spinning really fast? You see their head pop around and then their head stays in one spot? It's because they choose one point of focus and they focus on that as, as they're, they're spinning. Or another way to think about it is, you ever, uh, you ever try to balance a broomstick? You know, or is it just me? Like told to do chores, like, ah, I'm just going to balance a broomstick. Um, the key to balancing a broomstick, I'm sure you've found this out, is you must look up, right? Looking up, you can balance the broomstick better. But if I were to look down at my hand where it's touching my hand, it's a heck of a lot harder to, and I'm not just like making it up, it's like it's a heck of a lot harder to, to balance. But if I have the right focal point, which is up, man, it's a lot easier. Some of us are imbalanced in life and just kind of feel like, ah, oh, life's chaotic, I'm way too busy because you're focused on the wrong thing. You're spending all this time thinking and making time, squeezing things in just to make it for sports, because well, you're looking down. Everything's about sports. For others of us, it's, it's about work. All of our conversations, all of our thoughts, our extra hours, our passion, our focus, it's all on what you're just looking down. You're trying to balance. It feels chaotic. For some of us, it's pleasure. You're just trying to get and stay comfortable. You're really not doing much, but you feel chaotic because you're, you're looking down. You're imbalanced and you're stressed and you're frustrated. It's busy, 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 busy because you have the wrong focal point. You're looking down and it all crashes. This is why scripture tells us in Colossians 3, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Look up as you live. Like we live up. Ever since the cross, ever since the empty tomb, our focus hasn't been on anything in this world, but completely and fully on eternity. Like up is where we're headed. This life is all about storing up treasures up there, doing things down here that stores up treasures up there. But so many people are distracted by all the lesser things in life and you're grabbing anything flashy. Not only are you missing out on eternal reward, but you're imbalanced here. Eyes on eternity. As Warren Wearsby says, heaven isn't just a destination. It's our motivation. It's where we aim our days. It's where we aim our passion. It's where we aim our time. And when we're so focused on everything down here, man, that's all going to burn up on judgment day. We live up. We look up. And when we, when we focus our life looking up, everything down here is just... It's a heck of a lot easier to keep in balance because we have the right focus as we juggle everything. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.